Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. And this is your host, Laura Camacho, where we talk about the conversations that you need to have to move your career forward or your life forward, those conversations where you need to speak up and let people know your solutions or your ideas and not just wait and let other people take the credit. We've got a lot of things going on this summer, launching a new class by the time This comes out, it'll be old news by then, but I'm launching a new class. It's called From Invisible to Influence. It's a four week class, eight modules basically. So look out for that. It's going to be like a DIY, but the first version I'm going to teach live. So that's exciting. Got some live workshops going on this summer with some smaller companies working with culture and communication. Of course, continuing the speak for impact or communicate with impact trainings, webinars for a lot of big companies. So it's a very busy summer. One more thing before I get into what we're gonna talk about today's episode, which is the people side of change management with Tim Creasy. I wanted to share something. Speaking of change management, today I spoke with this woman and found out that she is a professional cuddler. She goes to people's houses just to snuggle with them. So who knew there's actually If you hear this in time, in August of 2023, there will be a conference of the Professional Cuddlers Association. So I thought that was very interesting, to say the least. That's one thing when you have kids and the stepkids and a bunch of grandkids. I'm blessed to have cuddles for free. And if you listen to our episode with Michael Bannessy, he was the author of Touch Matters. You remember that hugs are very important for your health. Now, the topic that does not sound as warm and fuzzy, change management is the topic we're gonna talk about today with Tim Creasy. He is the Chief Innovation Officer of ProSci is a pioneer world leading research and development of industry defining tools and resources to drive more successful organizational change. So he works for a company that is all about organizational change. And I talk to you guys every single day about the organizational change and the reorgs and how that works. But Tim is going to give us some insight into the softer side of organizational change we'll say softer really the most important part the handling the communication and the messaging and actually taking care of the people so i know you're going to enjoy hearing what he has to say about change management and remember make sure you get your copy of the practical guide to effective communication by laura camacho on amazon it's got a little bit for everyone, for emotional intelligence, presentations, virtual meetings, hard conversations. It's even got an assessment so that you can find out what your communication style is. It will help you rethink communication, which is the most important part, because once you think about it the right way, then the techniques and all come naturally. And just today, I spoke with a client that after one session, not only did she get a raise and a promotion, which is normal for my clients, but she didn't even have to apply for it. Her skip boss offered her this more senior role. So communication definitely makes a difference. So we are going to talk with Tim. 
Well, welcome, Tim. We're super happy to have you here. I've never had a guest that was calling in from Boise, Idaho. I hear Idaho is a beautiful state. I know your company, ProSci, is located in Colorado, and you're kind of the change management center of the universe. I mean, that's what you do all day, every day, right? Well, yeah, I don't know if I'd claim being the center of the universe, but (laughs) helping people through change is definitely the center of my and our universe. Yeah. It's a big thing. And I was just talking to Tim right before we started recording that I'm helping people who are reporting to me, oh, Laura, we just went through another reorg. We just did another, what I think of as change, and we were saving it for you guys to explain the difference between a reorg and change management. But before we get into that, Tim, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey to doing this? And now you're chief innovation officers. You must be very much on the cutting edge of things. How did you get there? Yeah, it's an interesting journey that it took to get here. Starts way back in... No, 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 I'm not going to go that (laughs) far back. It's been fascinating to have both my own personal professional journey and the evolution of ProSci kind of go hand in hand. So I joined ProSci right out of undergrad in 2001. My background was in economics and political science, and I loved what makes people decide to do what they do. So... Started school as an engineer with a real kind of math sciencey brain, but really in the end realized it was human systems that interacted and that really kind of made me interested. So I actually was not planning to go into the business world, was lined up to go do a PhD in comparative economics, but I got out of my undergrad in three and a half years and it took my partner at the time an extra year because she was doing a teaching degree. And so in that time, I had to find something to do in Northern Colorado. And I started working for this little company called ProSci. And at the time, we were only about nine people, really a a publishing company. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, books and binders. But we were founded by an insatiably curious engineer who wanted to understand why are some changes successful and others not? You know, what are those variables that set between them? And he decided to scratch that itch by doing research and connecting with real practitioners. And early on, it was those large business process re-engineering projects that organizations were undertaking. I'm sure you remember the hammer days. Oh, yeah. But as he went out and kept asking, what is the biggest gap? What is getting in the way of us achieving what we set out to? It was never having the right technical decision. It was how do we get our people engaged in that solution? How do we help our people engage, adopt, and use the solution we're bringing forward? Because the buttons are going to work. We spend so much time on the technology, the processes, making sure that's right. But the people is where solutions actually create value. And so that was kind of the beginning of ProSci. When I joined, we were still only doing books and binders. So it was research reports and toolkits really to equip practitioners to take this next step of bringing intentional, structured approaches to helping that people side of change. ProSize, you know, about 2003, people kept coming to me and saying, please do training, help train us on this, train us on this. And Jeff said, no, 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 we're not going to step into training. And then he did an amazing thing, Laura. He came and said, okay, here's the deal, Tim. We're not going to deliver a training program. We're going to deliver a transformational experience that helps people feel emboldened to take on change in a new way they never thought they could. And if you can design to that standard... Not some three hours of lecturing, but designed to the standard of a transformational experience, we'll step into training. That was back in 2003. And so that was the beginning of ProSize Cornerstone Certification Program that teaches practitioners 
the methodology, the tools. And the neat thing about that, Laura, is people have to bring a change project to the program. And while they learn the methodology, the strategy, the tools, they have to apply it to a change they're working on. And I used to fly down because during the course of the first two days, you actually build a presentation of your change management strategy that you have to deliver. I used to fly down all the time and watch these. And I remember one program just so distinctly. And the first practitioner who was in the midst of the program got up and she started to deliver her presentation. And she was rolling out a global diversity strategy across a 65,000 person multinational. And she talked about the sponsorship challenges and the communication messages and why it was so important to answer why, why now, what if we don't? And then she sat down and the next person got up to present. She worked at an architectural engineering firm. Mm-hmm. And she managed a team of about seven people, what they called visual communicators. So they were creative people that could take really complex architectural engineering things and explain it to somebody like me that doesn't understand mm-hmm. all that stuff. And she was trying to bring a little process to how these seven people work, some repeatability so that they could start to scale their value and their services. And she talked about the human components of change and the importance of having senior leaders actively sponsor the change. And in the course of about 20 minutes, I got to watch, because to me, I sort of came up with a base beat after doing a lot of these podcasts and webinars, different platforms. My base beat is this, change is hard, Mm -hmm. change is continuous, but change success is accessible with and through our people. Okay. You know, it's hard to step out of what we know, how things are done today into some unknown transition that's going to be messy and we don't know which way it's going to go and we don't know if people are going to stay committed to it. Uh, It's hard to invest your time and energy to go towards an unknown future state, a future state that might change while I'm moving there. Mm -hmm. And change, as we know, especially in this post-pandemic world, as we're reimagining workplaces and relationships, change is fundamentally changing around us too. So how do we put ourselves in a position to succeed with what we have? Yes, that sounds very good. It's very true that it's dependent on the people element. But to push back a little bit, Tim, people are most valued asset. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to play with that one a little bit? We'll yeah, play with that. You I, know. I do. Yeah. People are our most valuable asset, right? And so oftentimes it is potentially lip service. But I would maintain that there is a shift in organizations in terms of valuing the human beings that make up our organization. Yes. But then if you're on the end of a change management that includes you're getting a paper demotion, yeah, yeah. it doesn't really feel like people are most valued asset. And I talk to that kind of situation, not every day, but definitely several times. And that's where, yeah, reduction in force is not the same as change management, right? Change management is how we prepare, equip, and support our people through the changes they're about to undergo. But that can include that reduction of personnel. So, Oh, certainly. That'll be a part of especially a lot of changes certain industries are experiencing right now. I'll give you, I guess, kind of an A-B. I did some writing about how human beings, to make sense of anything, need context and contrast. Yes, Context is how does this relate to the stuff around it? Contrast is how is this similar or different from something else? So I'll give you an example of introducing a change with change management and without change management. Let's say we are rolling out a new online collaboration tool to increase the effectiveness of this hybrid workplace that we are stepping into. Scenario A, we send an email on Monday for training on Tuesday for go live on Wednesday. 
<laughs> yeah, that's obviously not going to work. <laughs> yeah, now scenario B, we have our senior leaders actively and visibly engaged, answering why, why now, what if we don't, and building coalitions of support. We have our middle managers leaning in, our people managers to become those active liaisons, the coaches, the communicators. They're in the best position to be the managers of resistance. We're equipping them to do so. We have timed communications, answering the questions people have when people have them, not just when we, the project team, want to tell them about it. That is, to me, the difference between treating our most valuable asset the way we should treat it in times of change, if we want to set it up for success, mm -hmm. or kind of falling back on those old perspectives that people's job is to jump as however high we tell them to. And so to me, when we talk about change management, it's whatever change we're trying to make happen in the organization. We know that a percentage of project outcomes depend on people changing how they do their jobs, right? Mm -hmm. This is one of my biggest pet peeves in the world is when people use the word literally, <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. I remember this TV ad. It was like, the alligators were running so fast, their legs literally fell off. And I'm like, no, they didn't. That's not what literally means. And then I had a classmate in one of my programs, he emailed me one time because one of the dictionaries actually redefined literally to mean the incorrect use of the word literally. Oh, really? Oh, oh yes, my goodness. Which, Laura, I literally fell out of my seat when I got that email because <laughs> I couldn't believe. That sounds like my favorite pet peeve is irregardless. I probably... Oh, irregardless. That's right yes. up there on my list too. Yeah, Especially that's... when it's used literally incorrectly. <laughs> But I digress. So you sit down with a senior leader. They're putting $25 million into this initiative mm -hmm. to try to bring about a significant amount of transformation. We say, hey, senior leader, what percentage of the project ROI you expect from this change is dependent on people changing how they do their jobs? Mm -hmm. People showing up in a new way with new mindsets, demonstrating right. new behaviors, using new processes. And if you literally want to see smoke come out of a sponsor's ears, ask, ask them the question, question, right? <laughs> Note to audience, ask your seniors this question. What percentage of this project's outcomes depend on people changing how they do their jobs? And what you'll find is that for our most strategic, most important changes, I mean, what do you think that number is? 80, 80%? 75, 80, 85, 90, 95%, right? And then I sometimes ask the second question, which I sometimes call the punch in the gut or you know, the reality check question, which is, how much of our time, energy, budget are we putting into helping people adopt and use the change versus just building the technical solution? Uh, okay. Okay. We end up putting all our money into designing that technical solution and we keep $500 on the side for mouse pads and coffee mugs that have the acronym of the project on it. That's not how we prepare, equip, and support our people. You know, Laura, I think people are going to experience change how they experience change. Mm -hmm. The question is, are we going to come along inside and prepare them, give them what they need to be effective, answer the questions they have and really equip them? Or are we going to be lazy on our treatment of that people side of change? So. so is that where most companies fail in their change management is by just lack of communication about the change and preparation of the people? Is that or they're solving the wrong problem, or the solution is not the right one. Yeah, I mean, we can kind of fishbone diagram it out, right? Where you're solving the wrong problem, using the wrong solution, or we're not getting our people there. It's interesting. I've actually had some conversations with folks about the difference between change leadership and change management. 
Okay. Yeah. And I'll actually add project management to the equation. You know, you got a lot of project managers listening in. Mm -hmm, Sure. mm -hmm. Right. Change leadership is deciding where to go and how to get there. Mm -hmm. Project management's the building what we need to get there, whether that's a product or a process. Change management's helping our people get there too. And so what we find, Laura, you're right, that projects can fall down because any of these pieces are coming up short. We actually use a, it's called the pro-side change triangle. It's an assessment, a diagnostic. You can all imagine what a triangle looks like. In the middle of the triangle, we write the word success. How clearly and effectively have we articulated what we are setting out to achieve? At the top of the triangle, we put leadership and sponsorship. Do we have the governance, the direction, the decisions making being taken to put us in the right direction? Bottom left, we put project management. Are we designing, developing, and delivering the solution effectively to meet the need, the issue, opportunity set in front of us? And on the bottom right, we put change management. Are we helping our people engage, adopt, and use this solution as we bring it forward? And so, Laura, all those parts have to be there for a successful change, right? We'll go in and sit down with a client and do a diagnostic and any of those spots can come up red, right? I might have yellow on my sponsorship. I might have strong project management, strong change management, but no clear definition or articulation of success. And that's a challenge we're going to have to then address. I might have challenges, project management, leadership, sponsorship, but I'll tell you when we ask people over and over, what's the biggest obstacle to successful change? It is managing through that resistance and engaging all of the shareholders and stakeholders that make up this change when it comes to life. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want you to fast track a little bit our audience because I want you to think about somebody who's maybe in their mid thirties, highly conscientious, high performer, director, senior director, and I'm helping them at some point in a corporate career, you have to really become a strategic thinker. Some people do it earlier, some people do it later, but we have a lot of engineers listening and other technical people. So they're used to delivering results. And then I'm saying, well, you know, the next level, you need to think more strategically. What would you tell someone on how to start thinking not about the way your team or teams work, but about the change that needs to happen in order for the company to be successful in the future? Yeah, great question. And I'll bring forward, I co-authored an article a number of years ago with Dr. Dave Jameson about the intersection of change management and organization development. But I was catching up with him a couple of months back and he used this phrase, the person with the widest lens wins. Oh, the person with the widest lens wins, right? So go back to your scenario you teed up. I think the coaching to that person is widen your lens right? We often start with a lens as wide as on time, on budget meets technical requirements. Mm-hmm. Well, yep, that's an important thing. We need that to happen, but then we need to start to widen the lens and say, what about adoption enablement? What about equipping our people, supporting the employee experience through that change process? And then we can widen our lens even further and say, is the organization achieving what it set out to? to move it down that path, whether it's a strategic direction, a digital transformation, a merger and acquisition, a response to regulation, right? That's a lot of times where we end up seeing ourselves playing. I think in terms of thinking about where we are today, reimagining the future of work and figuring out how we're going to respond to the involuntary digital transformation we all just went through. 
Because, you know, I, we talked to clients, I'm sure you experienced this, where their digital roadmap was accelerated five to 10 years. Yes, absolutely. Over the course of the last few. Mm -hmm. So then the question becomes, well, that's interesting. How did we get through that? What's next, though? You know, what are we going to do as we step into that next well, but we were in crisis mode for much of that. And there's just different constraints and different mindsets when you're in a crisis. And the interesting thing, Laura, is out of that crisis, we grew capabilities and expectations. Yes, we did. And so I've been having this conversation with leaders lately. I actually had the chance to have a 250 change agents and 170 senior leaders from the same organization in webinars well, about a week apart. And I asked both of them this question. What capabilities emerged over the last three years during this crisis response that we have to incorporate into the way we design the organization of the future, right? And what's interesting is you see some similarities in those answers in terms of those capabilities, flexibility, digital communication, adaptability, but you also see some variations in terms of those capabilities and expectations in terms of balance, maybe expectations around flexibility itself. And then the other question I've been asking, Laura, because I think this informs those leaders of the future is hybrid's here to stay. Right? Uh, yes, yes. Whether we're hybrid bespoke or hybrid by schedule, organizations are going to be navigating this hybrid environment. The question then is, what's the purpose of shared space when we do come together? What is the function of these four walls if we're going to invest the time and energy to get inside of them? And so I was able to ask the leaders and the change agents that same question too. There is a tremendous amount of synergy at the top, right? Collaboration, connection, teamwork. One, two, three on each of the lists with a little bit of changing here and there. Wait, collaboration. Connection and teamwork. Connection and teamwork. Okay, but not... Like brainstorming or creativity, that kind of thing wasn't a top. Well, those are the top three. What you just, brainstorming shows up in the top 10 list for the change agents, along with things like socializing, chance face-to-face -face encounters, a lot of more of those social value of the shared space. Our leaders pointed more at more things like learning, effective use of our assets and physical space, security, compliance, some of those components. And so I'm actually working on pulling an article together right now that really just explores this variation in perspective of the role of the office, the purpose of shared space when we come together. But if I am a senior leader then, or I'm one of these people on their way here in your audience, my question is, how do I ensure that when we come together, we're doing it for the right reasons? And we're really getting the value out of the purpose of coming together. Right. People are getting tired of making the commute to sit on a Teams call. Exactly. So you're not talking about a retreat. You're just talking about the day-to-day, -day, why come to the office? It's intentionality when we do come together, making sure we do it on purpose. So, Well, yeah, that's a debate. I mean, even one company was going to dock people's pay if they didn't come back to the office a certain number. Of, and there's debates about number of days. Is it three? Is it two? Is it five? And that's where I think the right question is, what are we doing when we come together? Right. It could be one or two or five, depending on the nature of the challenge, what we have in front of us and the work we're trying to get done. We had a return to the workplace advisory board we put together. And there was a really interesting conversation there. There was a university was one of the board members. They were talking about making decisions on which classes to bring back on campus. Back when they were capacity constrained out of safety concerns, this was the fall of 2020. But we're constrained for different reasons today as we make these decisions. But she said they essentially went through the whole course catalog and asked the question, 
does the where matter that this class happens? Does the where matter for this class? So I'll give you two examples that I use with a lot of my clients. Anatomy lab. Does the where matter? Yes. <laughs> yes. <I guess. laughs> All right. I was a liberal arts student, so I never took anatomy lab because I don't do cadavers or any of that stuff. <laughs> Me neither. But I can imagine you want the where matters. You want to be doing that at the lab. Right. I want a surgeon who missed out on that. No, or one that was learning it on their kitchen table, right? right? <laughs> now, 18th century French lit. A lot of that I can do. The where doesn't matter as much, except for those two group projects where we come together and share. And so, yeah, when and where does the where matter? What of our work is more like French lit? What of our work is more like anatomy lab and then can we design the future of the workplace to reflect those kind of questions rather than one day two day three days right okay so you're saying that there's no answer to that question because you're asking the wrong question to begin with so it's going to depend on what work is being done when's it important for us to come together right like project kickoff meeting versus the 18th weekly status update. Right. Very interesting. One of those, the where matters way more than it does for the other. Right. I love the anatomy class versus French literature, not to diss French literature. It's very interesting. but It's fascinating, right? But, uh, <laughs> I even had the conversation with a single person, right? Our video editor on our marketing team, video capture. If you're capturing the video, that's like anatomy lab work where it matters, right? Because you're aiming the camera at the thing that you're recording. Video editing, ah, you can do that anywhere. And so the where doesn't matter. So let's start to architect workplace structure to reflect the work getting done. So do you anticipate if enough people ask this question, changes in architecture for business purposes? I would imagine we're going to start to see our CEO even started referring to our headquarter facility as the collaboration hub. Okay. Right. Even there by name, we're recontexting what this space is for. Mm -hmm. It's not a headquarters. It's a collaboration hub where we come to do certain kinds of work. Now that means then the physical space needs to reflect the kind of collaborative work we're coming to do. So yeah, I would imagine you're going to start to see reflections of why the space is getting used and how the space is getting created. Very interesting. We haven't even mentioned your book, which is The People Side of Change. And in it, you, of course, mention a lot of things and a lot of things that we mentioned. But I want to touch on this before I, I will not let you go until you answer this question. <laughs> okay. I want you to explain to our audience of super smart, highly conscientious, high performers who are also exceptionally good looking. You have a chapter on individual change management versus organizational change management. So what is that about? Yeah, great question. And I'll offer up kind of a, another turn of phrase. Outcomes desired, activities required. Outcomes, Outcomes desired, desired, activities, activities required. required. So individual change is those outcomes desired. And the pro-sci-ad-car model is what sets there. If this person needs to begin using Teams, if this person needs to begin following a new process, if this person needs to show up and demonstrate a new behavior, they need awareness of the need for change to the point where they would say, I understand why. They need desire to participate and support the change to the point where they would say, I've decided to. They need knowledge on how to change, the ability to demonstrate those new required abilities and behaviors, and then reinforcement to sustain the change. So that's ADCAR, precise individual change model. Awareness, desire, knowledge, ability, reinforcement. 
Which that sounds like a constructive feedback model. Yeah, it's very much reflective of how human beings go through a change. And then what do we provide them? I was talking with one of my colleagues, Lisa Kempton, on the product team last week, and she said the phrase, there's a reason it's not communicate, motivate, train, All right? Awareness, desire, knowledge are the outcomes desired. That's that individual perspective. Communicate, motivate, train. Those are the activities being done by the people in the organization. So activities, outcomes desired, gives us that individual orientation. And whether the change impacts one or 10 or 100 or 10,000 people, each of them needs to navigate their own personal change for this change to come to life. And then on the flip side, what are the activities, the change practitioner, the project team, whoever is fulfilling that role of tending to the adoption and usage of this change effort? What are the actions they can take to build momentum, answer objections, create the transparency, the level of communication we want to have around this change effort in the organization? Okay. Wow. You guys have really broken this whole concept of change management down. So another you know, question that I wanted to get to you. Maybe everybody listening is like, Laura, we already know this, but is there a company reorg a form of change management? Yeah, good question. And so I'll offer up you here sort of an analogy that I tend to use. And you'd mentioned the book is named Change Management, the People Side of Change. So if we were to think about change kind of like a coin, there's a people side and a technical side, right? The technical side of the coin is where we design, develop, and deliver the solution we need to meet whatever opportunity or issue we have in front of us. So reorg is one of those technical side solutions organizations deploy. So is technology deployment, IT systems, culture change. These are some of the more common changes that were brought into our most recent study. Mm-hmm. The other side is the people side of change. How do we help our people through to engage, adopt, and use that change process? And so I would say reorg is one of the types of technical change to which change management can help us more effectively support our people through whatever it is they're going through. Okay. I think all of you listening are getting an inside view into the guts of change management because Tim here, just like I'm dealing with communication every single day, Tim is helping companies with the change management every single day. We've both been doing this for a long time. So communication is a tool, more of a micro level tool and change management is more of a macro level tool, right? That's kind of how I would start to think about it. Yeah. And I do a lot of work with associations related to communication. I tend to draw more like a Venn diagram, where if change management's one side of the Venn and it's to prepare, equip, and support our people through change, communication is the other side of the Venn diagram. And it would be to effectively pass ideas, information, and content in a way that it can be brought to life and made sense of by the people we're sharing it with. Those two certainly overlap. Communication is one of the key tools of change management alongside sponsorship and coaching and training. Huge opportunity for partnership, I think, when we come together and say, in the end, we're both here to help our people make sense of what's going on around them and make progress going forward. So yeah, really neat opportunity for overlap there. Yes. And I think everybody in the workforce is getting that change and then more change and then more change. I mean, I spoke to someone who'd been through like four reorganizations in less than two or three years. I don't know. I mean, just a lot. Maybe she had switched companies, but I mean, the pace of change feels like it's accelerating. Is that a perception that's true? 
I think it's an interesting one to tease out. I have a slide that I used to use. Uh, one of my favorite keynotes that I delivered for a long time was organizational agility as a strategic imperative. Really looking at the need for organizations to build change muscle, you know, that they can both employ on purpose, deploy when they have to. What does it mean as an organization to build change muscle, change as a capability? I used a quote at the front end of a number of those keynotes that talks about, you know, change is happening at a pace like we've never seen before, collision, all this. And then I would animate on the source of the quote, and it was Warren Bennis, 1969. And so when you read it, you're like, whoa, that's exactly what every organization's experiencing today. And then you're like, well, and that was 50 years ago, 50 plus years ago. And so sometimes I wonder if we always perceive the level of change around us as untenable. At the same time, there's certainly some trends that have come out of this pandemic response that I think are creating a different context for change. The involuntary digital transformation is one of them. Another one I talk about is the instantaneous work from home experiment, right? Within a matter of one, two, three days, right? Which is fascinating. The human tenacity and ingenuity that enabled that to happen and the bandwidth that all of our neighborhoods had. Like, can you imagine? Right, (laughs) right. No, no, no. My whole business model changed. I was doing bespoke in-person trainings all over. And now that's a very small part of my business right now. I was the chief innovation officer, right? Kind of led the development of our portfolio. We, mm-hmm. Our cornerstone program is a three-day immersive program that we only taught in person. Over my dead body was my answer to when are we going to virtualize <laughs> this program, right? And then I got to tell you, I mean, those first couple of weeks of March, one of the things I am most proud of, of our journey through this was March 10th, 2020, we delivered our last in-person program. So we were still in person. Half the people didn't come to it. I mean, the whole world was shifting right then. Yes. March 17th, we delivered our very first three-day virtual instructor-led training. Oh, wow. That was fast. Yeah. So we had zero down weeks. And I mean, it was everyone's being going into lockdown. We had about 55 people signed up for our certification program that week Mm -hmm. that were still Mm -hmm. on the books. We reached out to them and said, hey, we're jumping into this virtual experience if you want to come with us. And 32 people boldly stepped into three full immersive days of virtual instructor-led program. So I don't remember sleeping much March of 2020, (laughs) but you're right in entire (laughs) business models because we had to. But the interesting thing then, Laura, is now that we've grown the capability, I'll tell you what, I found some old documentation that the executive team, we were floating around there in that March 2020 timeframe. We expected six weeks and then we're going to roll it back, right? Because that's when the world was going back to normal. And we did not want to be in a virtual delivery space. So we actually had active plans for rolling back the virtual offering six weeks out so that we could get back in person. Now, three plus years later, you can't shed the capability. You can't shed the expectation that comes with being able to teach cross-global programs much more easily. So yeah, I think it's a fascinating world. Oh, for sure. And I believe we're all here. We all have our purpose and you know, this is our time. So it's good to approach it. There's a lot of opportunity out there. Well, thank you so much, Tim. This has been like a tsunami of change management insight and the mindset without having to spend three days with you, but just a little bit of time. We've all gotten some much better idea of what makes change management successful and how we need to be thinking about it. You're either 
in the middle of it or about to start it or just finishing some kind of change management. If people want to reach out to you, Tim, how would you like for them? Just I'll let you have the last word to our audience. Yeah, very good. Well, our company is called ProSci, P-R-O-S-C-I. So the website, there are loads of webinars, articles, blogs. In fact, I'm doing a free webinar this evening introducing our new research that will be up there for replay sort of right away. I'm personally most active on LinkedIn. So that's where you'll see a lot of my articles, observations about the nature of change in the world that we have in front of us. And I think one of the other important things for your audience to take away today is that one of the results of the last three years that we all went through is that the people side of the change and the people side of the organization can no longer be unseen. Okay. There was a time before the pandemic that you could kind of ignore the people side of your teammates, your employees. When you end up listening to the symphony of their lives in the background of every single project meeting, there's a paradoxical sense of humanity that gets pumped into the connective tissue of the organization, which I think is exciting. If it's something we can continue to pick up and fan the flame of fascinating landscape in front of us and empowered leaders putting people first are going to help us on that path to success. So. That is very good. Well, I know everyone here that is listening is a very people-centered professional. That's why they're here is to learn how to do that better. So everybody, you're welcome. Tim was great. We will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much for showing up and I will see you very soon.